How many are glad to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. All right. All two of you. Okay. Penn State has a chance. Come on, guys. You should be no Penn State fans here. Is this a house divided? Uh, you know, it's like, well, it's it's so good to be here. Uh, last week I was uh, in the state of Washington uh, speaking, and uh, so it's always good to be back here. And uh, we just, Heather and I love being here and having a family and uh, we appreciate each one of you guys, and uh, we thank Pastor Aaron for this chance and privilege this morning to break up on the Word of God. Would you stand with me for just a moment for the reading of God's Word and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38? Now, uh, most of you know this is where my wife is from, so I am from the south, from Oklahoma and Texas, and there's one thing about a southern preacher is we count on crowd participation. So could I just challenge you to, like, come out of any kind of shell on this beautiful, cold winter Pennsylvania November morning? And it's nice and warm and cozy. So can you just, just for the fun of it, just every once in a while randomly just throw out an amen or preach it or come on or I don't care what you say. You can go, you know, touchdown or something. I don't know. Just, just radically, just even if you don't know when to throw it, just throw it out there. It won't mess me up. I promise. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion And have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. Father, may you anoint this time of your word. I pray a blessing upon this time. God, that you would prepare us, Lord, for what you want to do in this altar this morning. God, I believe before we leave this place, there are going to be miracles experienced, Lord, as we are, Lord, in this season of thankfulness. God, we pray that this special time of the word would pierce our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you see here on the screen, you see this beautiful scene. In fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was here, some of the guys were talking, can't you just see like a 10-point buck? Just Some of you probably, you've even got, you got a gun on some of you here this morning, so... If there is one that walks out all of a sudden, please don't shoot, okay? Uh, but 10,000 reasons. A couple of weeks ago when Pastor Aaron asked me if I could do this, because he said I'm going to be out of the country in ministry, 
uh, said we're in a series on 10,000 reasons, and this is the, the time of, of thanksgiving and thankfulness. And I, I just began to pray and seek God, and, and even last night was just seeking God and, and just saying, God, show us what you are wanting to do so that we can just flow right with Pastor Aaron in this series of 10,000 reasons. And uh, I'm going to give you some very good news. I am not going to list 10,000 reasons this morning. That's a very good thing because I think that would take quite a while. Uh, but <laughs> score. Maybe we have our heart beating 10,000 times in a week or something like that. Maybe some of you, that would be three days. Maybe some of you, that would be 10 days. I don't know. But we have so much to be thankful for, but I can't think of a better story to illustrate of what we have to be thankful for with God, and that is the ability to touch the heart of God and see a desperate, impossible situation turn around into something good. Because this, this was a Monday morning doorbell ring at your front door that nobody wants to get. Can you imagine Hezekiah just, he's hanging out and all of a sudden the doorbell goes off and he goes to open the door and there is the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah, you know what prophets are. They, they bring a word from God, right? And so Isaiah, He's, you know, he's like, Hezekiah, I've got a word from God for you. Can't you just imagine how excited he is? I mean, he's got to get his iPhone out or iPad out and he's going to get the video going. I mean, because I'm going to document this incredible moment. I can't wait. God sent a prophet to my house this morning. And so this has got to be good. Right? He's probably thinking, wow, he's going to go have me go around the world. I'm going to share in front of thousands of people. I'm going to pray for people and see them healed. I'm going to pray for people and see them raised from the dead. Wow, God, what are you going to tell me? Give me something good, man. I'm just imagining all these things. And I say, okay, are you ready? Yeah. God says, you're going to die. Okay, that's not funny, Isaiah. That, don't mess with me like that, okay? It's not funny. And Isaiah was like, I'm for real, dude. I mean, <laughs> that's the word. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> what? I mean, wait. I mean, God, you, you mean you, you took me away from my cup of coffee to walk over to the store so somebody could tell me, by the way, you're dying, so prepare your funeral, pick out the songs, pick out your casket, figure out what you want them to eat after, you know. What? Like, I'm going to die. That's not what I want to hear. And so the door closed. Have have you ever been there? Have Have you ever been at that place where you had a life or death situation just slammed you in the face out of nowhere maybe you heard the words that i've personally heard at times you you have cancer you're dying if we don't stop this maybe you're like an unforgettable night when i was <laughs> 
much younger and my daughter was just a baby and we lived in an upstairs apartment and all of a sudden, like at 10.30 at night, bang, 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 bang on our front door. It, like, immediately, like, nobody's supposed to come. Nobody's, who's banging on our door? And it got louder. And I go to the door and I look through the peephole and there is a guy that I do not recognize. And very quickly, you can tell he's really drunk or really high. And now he is kicking the door and I'm seeing the door literally bow in and bow out. And the urgency now is rising because I realize this guy, if he comes through the door, uh, you know, he's he's messed up and he could attack my whole family. I have my daughter, my wife. What am I going to do? And it's it's a very desperate situation because I realize very quickly I don't have any guns. I don't have, I can't think of anything. My golf clubs are down in the car, so that's not going to help. I mean, what am I going to do? I, I, I didn't know what would happen. And so we immediately, we call 911 and we're saying, you've got to get here right now because this is getting serious and he is kicking it now harder. He is cursing and he's saying, let me in, let me in. And that desperation of that moment, that requires your attention. When you get a knock on your door by the prophet Isaiah saying, you are going to die. God says, get your house in order. You're going to die. Then it is a situation that requires your attention. Thankfully, the police got there finally, and this guy didn't bust down the door, but it was as scary of a moment to realize that sometimes out of the blue, something hits us that we do need to even, we don't even know what we would do. And there have been other moments in my life, uh, many of you know that I'm a full-time evangelist and I almost fly almost weekly get on a plane and go someplace in the world and speak. And because of that, uh, I, I'm i kind of a, you know, one of those flyers that knows way too much. Like I know the sounds of the engines and what, you know, who's the maker of the engine. I know the, 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 the air manufacturers and I, I know the configurations of you know the 757 as opposed to 737 and 767 and the 777 and the 787 and the Airbus and all these things that you know it's all these things that because I've flown over two and a half million miles and I am always on planes that uh, this happened many years ago I was flying into Chicago O'Hare Airport and I had a very tight connection. I was speaking in Ohio that night. And so if you've ever flown into the major airports of our nation, it's like rush hour traffic in some major city. The planes just stack up in the sky. And, and, and usually it's like a, at least a five-minute interval in between but so they can land and all these things. And so I realize if we get out of line flying into Chicago Hare Airport, then this is going to make me miss my connection. I'm not going to be able to get to my event that night and speak. And so uh, we were getting ready to land. 
We were literally just hundreds of feet off the ground. Everybody is quiet. They're locked in. And immediately I hear something that I shouldn't hear when we're landing. And it was the engines gearing up. Like revving up and, 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 and going faster. And it was just something that literally clicked inside of me and there has been no announcements. The pilot hasn't made any announcements. I'm in the front, so I'm watching the flight attendants. There's been no communication. Anything's weird, but almost immediately after the engines, we began to bank away from the runway and we began to climb altitude. And it just so happens on the particular airline that I fly mostly is they have as part of their audio entertainment is you can turn to channel nine on the audio and listen to air traffic control, and the pilots talk to each other. I know. Some of you are like, wow, that's cool. High entertainment. We have a pilot in our midst here that goes to our church. And so he's been one of those guys that uh, that I love to listen. And it's just like this... It's an amazing interaction. And so I immediately turn on to Channel 9 to put my headphones on. And this is what I hear. United Flight 587 climbed to 4,000 and respond why you aborted your landing. And I was like, great question. Why didn't we land? You have just messed my schedule up. We're going to have to go down to the back of the line. And then I hear our pilot say, United Flight 587, climbed to 4,000. And the reason we aborted our landing is because we have a landing gear problem. Cool. That's be a great point for touchdown or something right now. For those that are not familiar, landing gear, wheels. Got to come out of the belly of the plane. When you land, and it... Takes you down the tarmac and it's all good. But we have a problem with our wheels. They're not coming down. Is this not cool or what? Nobody in the plane knows except for the pilots, not even the flight attendants. I'm watching. They've not received because everything's happening so quickly. And I immediately in my, my creative mind began to think, this is going to be so cool. I'm going to be on Fox News tonight. There's going to be all these fire trucks and ambulances and they're going to spray the white foam. We're going to land around. Get to jump down the inflatable. It's going to be so fun. And I'm sitting beside a gentleman that has no clue. And you know the little little devil guy on one shoulder and the little angel guy on the other shoulder? Little guy over here with the devil horns is saying, should we just mess up his day right now? Little angel guy says, no, be nice. Little guy says, no, tell him. I listened to this guy. I said, guess what? We have a landing gear problem. You know what? Great time to witness. Great time. I made it. I'm here. You know what? It was the landing gear light bulb that burned out. 
candles were fine. It was a light bulb that burned out. So I did not get on Fox News. I did not get to land on white foam, fire trucks and ambulances. But you know what? It was a moment that all of a sudden you realize this could be it. And this is what Isaiah had told Hezekiah. This is it. How many knows that if God tells you you're going to die, how many knows you, that's one thing you can count on, right? I mean, it's not like God sends the prophets or angels out to people's houses to mess with them. <laughs> hey, you're going to die. Ha, gotcha. Joke's on you. God doesn't do that. If you walk into a bank tomorrow morning and you're going to deposit your paycheck and you just so happen are there right when a bank robbery is taking place and somebody, the bank robber walks up to you and you are the chosen one. And they walk up and they say, Chris, I'm going to send an example to everybody right now. Don't you mess with us. I'm going to shoot this guy right now. So I let everybody know, no heroes. Nobody calling 911. Nobody video and taking pictures of us. This is for real. How many knows that you still have hope? Because maybe Chris turns into Jackie Chan or <laughs> Kung Fu Panda and takes the guy out. Maybe he changes his mind. Or maybe somebody shoots the guy first. You have hope. How many knows if the doctor comes in tomorrow and says, we got the test results. By the way, <laughs> I get that experience tomorrow. If you want to pray for me tomorrow, it would be most appreciated. Have an endoscopy in the morning and then tomorrow afternoon we go find out what the MRI and CAT scan says because my two bottom titanium screws of my fusion are broken <laughs> and they're not supposed to break. And so they're not used to dealing with this and... But how many knows if the doctor says it's cancer or you have two weeks to live? How many knows you still got hope? Right? You still have hope. Why? Maybe you got it wrong. Maybe God heals you. You still have hope. But how many knows if God says you're going to die, that is one thing. He cannot lie. It's against his character. So if he says you're going to die, Hezekiah, you're going to die. So Hezekiah, you can count on that. You say, you say, Ron, what, what is the 10,000 reasons that I can be thankful about a moment like this? You know what it is? Because every one of us at times in our life are going to face the impossible moment. We're going to face that moment that overwhelms us. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're going through a tragedy. Maybe you went through a horrible accident. Maybe you live with pain every day. Maybe you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. Maybe some other kind of tragedy. But how in the world can I be thankful at a moment like this that my world is caving in and, and I'm going to die? How, how can I be thankful? Let me tell you how you can be thankful. It's because as long as you have the ability to pray, then you have the ability to touch the heart of God and become 
because of that, you can turn an impossibility into a possibility. You can turn an incurable into a curable. You can turn a situation in which a mountain is in front of you that is seemingly overwhelmingly and you cannot get past it. But God says if you speak to that mountain, it can be moved. You've got to know that the reason we can be thankful no matter what we hear tomorrow is that I have the ability to touch the heart of God. And if you have the heart to touch God, then even God can change His mind. You know what He did? Hezekiah got really focused. This is what happens. What do you do when life throws you a curve like this? It says, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. He got he got very, very focused. How many knows if you're dying, all of a sudden it doesn't matter if you get the promotion. All of a sudden it doesn't matter if you get a bigger house or a new car or a new TV. All of a sudden it doesn't matter if you get a cruise or a vacation. All of a sudden the only thing that matters is that I've got to get focused because I'm dying and it's not going to matter unless I can live. And so he got focused. He said, nothing else matters, so I'm going to shut everything else out. You know what they, uh, you know what they did to us as kids in, in, in class at school? We had these archaic things in front of our classrooms that were called chalkboards. For everybody that's under 20, let me explain what that is. Is this really, Weird kind of surface that if you take your fingernails and you go down them, it's a sound that doesn't come from God. <laughs> but they used this archaic thing. It was, it's called chalk. It's like white. And you can write on this chalkboard. And if you were a distraction, if you were a problem for the teacher, if you were causing other people problems and you're a distraction, then what the teacher would do in front of the whole class, in front of everybody on the chalkboard, she would draw a small little circle. Now, let me clarify something. The only reason I know of this happening is because I observed it. I would have never myself had to go through that, but she would draw a small circle and then she would have the person that's causing the problems come to the front of the class and you would have to stick your nose in that. Please, no pictures right now. This better not end up on Facebook or Twitter. There's one thing about being like this, you get really focused. All of a sudden, you can't see anybody else. You can't see anything else. And so you're very focused. And so Isaiah was saying, i got to get focused because nothing else matters. He prayed. Just this week, my daughter went to one of the countless appointments because she has a disease, tumors in her brain, her heart, kidneys. It's incurable. She's had it her entire life. And... uh When you know that your daughter 
is face to face with an incurable disease, then um, you know what? All of a sudden, there's something inside of you that says, you know what? I'm going to touch the heart of God so my daughter can live. And, and even though she shouldn't have lived, even though she shouldn't be able to talk or walk or do any of these things that she's able to do, she's 19 and she can call her daddy on his cell phone and she can text me and she can walk and she can talk and she can even work at TJ Maxx. When you face, when you're face to face with the impossible, you shut out everything, you get focused and you pray. And then he reminded God of his faithfulness. Let me tell you, it will be good when life throws you a curveball, when life trips you up, challenges you, hurts you. It will be good that you can remind God of your faithfulness. God, I love you. I'm committed to you. And then it says, he cried. He wept tears. Have you ever heard of a um, papoose board? Come on, parents. How many have had your child strapped to a papoose board? Worst thing ever. Papoose board, for those that are not familiar, is basically, it's like a straight jacket attached to this flat board that they have to use for children and kids that uh, will not stay still for a medical procedure or test. And I remember when my daughter was just 16 months old and she, we just, she just had her first seizure and they were diagnosing her, uh, what, why was she having seizures? And we didn't know yet that she had tumors all over her brain. And so they said, we need to do an EEG, not an EKG on your heart. No, an EEG. Some of you've had those. I've had those for an adult, for a teenager, not a big deal. They put you in a dark room. They attach the electrodes all over your head and then they do flashes of lights and all all that they're trying to cause a seizure because they're trying to take the the a picture of the the electricity activity in the brain and so my little daughter was was uh she was a baby she didn't understand things and so they said we're going to have to strap her to a papoose board and i never realized how painful that experience would be and the tech began to strap her down you strap the head and you strap the arms and you strap the chest and you strap the legs where she could literally not move, but daddy was standing right there the entire time. And then she began to let everybody know in the hospital, I don't like this. She began to cry. She began to make sounds that I've never heard before or since. She was struggling. She was fighting. She was growling. She was crying. And yet I did nothing. She's looking in my face at her daddy. And yet I'm allowing the stranger to scare her and hurt her. And she's letting me know. And I'm staring in Taylor's face and I'm holding on to her little bitty baby hand. And, and her hand was so small that she could only hold on to my, my little finger. And so we just sat there the entire test and I just let her hold on to my finger because I was going to let her know that I know that you don't understand this. And I know this is painful and I know this doesn't make sense. And I know you're scared and I know it, it hurts and I know that, that you don't like this. But there is one thing you need to know. Daddy is not leaving you. I am not walking away. I'm standing here the entire time. 
And then I began to think this horrible thought. What if Taylor has began to think and question whether daddy loves her? Because surely, God, surely you know I'm crying. Surely you know I've let you know I don't like this, what I'm going through. Please change this. And that, that test continued on and she, she began to do everything she could possibly do. Tears streaming down her face and every tear did not go unnoticed by this dad. But the tragedy in the situation was, and even though she was crying and tears streaming down her face, I did nothing to stop it. Because I understood that she needed this test. It was for her good. And then it will be over and we'll walk out of this place and she'll never remember this. But daddy and mommy will never forget. You see, there's a thing that you got to know about Taylor. And I was so excited when I found out I was going to have a little girl. Because if all I got in life was a chance to have one child, I always said I wanted a little girl. Because I always wanted to have a daddy's little girl. And I got that. And the day that Taylor was born, I began to make a deal with her. I said, Taylor, this is your daddy. And if you will say dad as your first word, I'll take care of you. <laughs> if you don't, you're on your own. Every day I would teach her that. Say, Dada, Dada. Taylor, you learn that one word. And whenever you fall and whenever you're hurt and whenever you're scared and whenever you need something, you say that one word, Dada, and I'll come running. I'll scoop you up and I'll hold you. And that day she had cried and wept tears, and yet I did nothing to stop it. And then she did the very last thing. That she, she threw out everything that she could possibly do. And you will never forget that moment. She looked in my eyes and she went, Dad, Dad. Dad, And I did nothing. And I said, God, what if my own daughter thinks I don't love her because I'm not stopping this? He said, Ron, it's the same way with me. It happens all the time with my children. They're going through a test and a trial in their life. And it's painful and it's scary and they don't like it. And they're crying and they're praying, God, make this stop. And yet nothing stops. And so they immediately begin to question whether God loves them. Maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe God walked out of the room. Maybe God doesn't care. But it is the complete opposite, Ron. Just like you would never consider walking out of this room right now. Just like you would never consider releasing your hand from her little hand just in the same way I haven't walked out of the room and I haven't abandoned you there's a knock that's guy he's 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 tired and he's better you know he's just overwhelmed I'm dying and he's been crying and praying and all of a sudden there's a knock He's not so excited this time to go answer. But he does. He opens the door. It's the prophet Isaiah again. And Isaiah says, "Um, Hezekiah, I got a new word from God for you. I was walking away and God stopped me. He said, no, go back to Hezekiah and you, you tell him. He's not going to die. I'm going to give him new life. 
And not only am I going to give him new life, but I'm going to defeat the enemy that's come against him. Not only am I going to give him new life, not only am I going to defeat the enemy, but then I'm going to stick around and I'm going to defend him. And if there's anyone here this morning that you walked in here today and you said, I don't have a lot of reason to be thankful because your life is turned upside down right now. Let me tell you that God wants to knock on the door one more time and let you know there's not one tear not one prayer that's one unnoticed by your heavenly father and he's telling you just like the tech said dad the test is over I couldn't unstrap her fast enough from that papoose board I couldn't pick her up quick enough and I couldn't hold her in my arms and let her know it's okay now we're walking out of this test right now in this room right now God is knocking at the door of your heart and he's saying this is a new day this is a new start this is the day that the test stops that the season of pain and trial is over this is a day that you walk in new life in new liberty and the enemy that has tried to defeat you and destroy you is now going to be defeated because God is the one that surrounds you. I want everybody to stand with you. If you would, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that the reason we have 10,000 reasons to be thankful is, Lord, even in the worst of times, in the most challenging times, in those times, oh God, that it seems impossible, just like Hezekiah found out that day, you're dying, you're going to die. But because he touched the heart of God, it shows us that nothing is impossible. 